Not everything metal was created equal. What an ugly thing to say. The Metal Sucks Podcast. Shiggity Chuck and Godless attempt to bring order to chaos or just make stupid jokes about dumb people. Stupid. A person below normal intelligence. This is the Metal Sucks Podcast. Greetings and salutations, yes! my fine metal friends. Welcome to another edition of the Metal Sucks Podcast. How you doing? I am Chickity Chuck. I'm Godless. And this is your weekly we all. examination of all things metal right here on MetalSucks.net. You make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter and all that stuff. I am at Bearded Ape on Twitter. And I'm at Godless Speaks. And you can find us and, and maybe we'll talk to you. I talk to just about everybody. I, yeah, I know. I, I've noticed that. Me, yeah. I don't. I, I'm I, even I, private messaging and stuff. No, really? Yeah. Uh, I got like conversations going on all over the place. See, not me. I don't want to get in trouble. A little bit here and there. I mean, I've got a few, but but nothing serious. Hot chicks. <laughs> yeah. All right. No. <laughs> not really. Uh, I swear. Metal Sucks Podcast this week brought to you by legendary metal powerhouse Down. They are back with their new EP, Down 4 Part 2. It's the next chapter for the group, of course, consisting of Phil Anselmo, Pepper Keenan, Jimmy Bauer, Pat Bruders, and uh, their new guitarist, Bobby Landgraf, who is an awesome dude, by the way. It's packed with their signature gargantuan riffs and swamp blues leads, crashing drums, hypnotic howls. Uh, make sure you pick it up. It's the 36-minute collection, which features the single We Knew Him Well, available online and in stores Down for part two this week we have got uh we've got an interview with sam dunn you might know him from a uh, headbanger uh what is it uh, what's the name of the damn movie it's a headbanger metal a headbanger's journey there right. we go that movie also uh iron maiden uh flight six 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 uh that movie as well as uh metal evolution on vh1 he's got a new doc coming out about alice cooper that is pretty wicked bad and uh, we're going to talk to him about that a lot. and i know what you're thinking you're like i'm not an alice cooper fan Ugh. You got to see this movie. I laughed out loud, like I don't know, like it was, six times. And it was shit I did not know about it. I mean, I because yeah. I'm not a big Alice Cooper fan, and right. we talk about that. In I the, don't think anybody is, <laughs> but he's relevant to a lot of people, right? You know, I mean, he's relevant to a lot of people that that either you're a fan of or also, you know, there's there's a lot of reasons. So. But it's a kick-ass story. But it's also our what I noticed when I was uh, when I was going back through it. Like this is the first time that we've had a subject that we've interviewed, and we interviewed him about his body of work mainly, and that's about it. Instead of talking to him about some personal stuff, right. because his personal journey is Metal Headbangers' journey, so it's kind of a different uh, different interview for us. Where we're really talking about his work, and mm-hmm. he's also very very good. I, he has been. You can tell he's been interviewed a bunch, and, and I he's think good at it. We've got a really good guess as to what the next documentary is going to be. Who could it be? You know it. I I don't know if that's right or not. I th- we, I guessed, but he shut up a, a real I know, quick. When I, when I know he, said he shut up because I think you hit it. I th- and I think was, it might be right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know for sure. Like I was listening to it again, and I'm like, oh, I think I might have nailed it. I think I might have nailed it. Yeah. See, you were good, and and it reminds me of when we interviewed Paul Masvidal, and how bad I was. (laughs) Uh, The stuff we we apparently missed with uh, with Paul Masvidal. I've got the world's worst gaydar. I didn't think it was that bad. I thought I was kind of, you know, I I thought I had a pretty good gaydar, but apparently. 
It's not. I didn't. I just okay. I did not know. I had no idea. Ah. I, and I don't know why I didn't know. But I, but honestly, to me, I I don't care that uh, that Paul or Sean Reiner, either one of them, is gay. I could care less. Well, like I, that that doesn't matter to me. I'm I'm a, such a fan of theirs. You know that like personally, that doesn't affect my view on him or anything like that. You know what I'm I mean? Ju- I'm just thinking when we met him on seventy thousand tons of metal, and 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 I. I'm thinking back, and I think I was dressed well uh, when we met him. I think I had one of my yeah, favorite pair of pants on. Probably. And, and it's they're slimming. So <laughs> I, I feel good about that. Dressed better than me. I know that for sure. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, you know. I'm not, so this came up before last week's show, and you're like, do you want to talk about it? And I'm like, I don't know what there is to talk about. I mean, so yeah, he's right. gay, whatever. Yeah, exactly. It's 2014. Silly me. Well, honestly, that's the and that's the thing to me is that is that it. I get the reason why you thought it was a non-issue, right. uh, because we're progressive. I mean, if you don't know, we are in Texas, by the way, uh, and Texas is not one of the most progressive states when it comes to anything. No, we're right behind Belarus. But we are. When it comes but to- we are in one of the most gay places in Texas that there is. Uh, yeah, in this state. I mean, Austin, Texas, is one of the most progressive places. Uh, in the world, I would I would actually say to to a fault, actually, in many, in many respects, we respect everybody a little way too much sometimes. But the thing is, is that um, it's it's not the Texan point of view that you're going to get about them gays out there. Nothing like that. And that, and no, it's, it's, it's gonna, a non-issue. And you're you know? not even get an Austinite's point of view. I think you're going to get a modern metalhead's point of view. And I just don't think anybody cares. I did, yeah, I, think, I mean, I didn't, I didn't think, think anybody. anybody. Yeah, exactly. And apparently we're wrong because this really seemed to rile up uh, Mr. Vic. Uh, oh, what's his? I don't know. Vic Kuletsky. Okay, the Vic guitar guy. Yeah, Vic guitars. That's actually been what made you more interested in this thing was yeah. this big controversy that's been going on behind it. And what's weird is, is that I think there and I saw some comments from people about the about the stories that were coming out uh, uh, with uh, about the L.A. was it L.A. Times or wherever where they did the interview with uh, Paul and Sean. And so I saw some people that, are, you know, I know a bunch of homophobic metal dudes. I know those guys. There's a couple of them here and there. But, you know, they probably also hate Jews, too. So you got to watch out for those guys. You know, we've we've read stories about those dudes, too, whether it's Inquisition or somebody else. You never know. Uh, allegedly. <laughs> but, yeah, allegedly. But, but the thing is, is that it's um, you know, it's sort of out there, but you know that it's a small inquisition for Vic guitar. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Sorry. He's Christian. So that's not going to work either. Oh, geez. Uh, sorry, dude. You, you've alienated everybody at this point. <laughs> no. And the, the weird thing is, is that it's very rare that you get somebody who is in business, who is going to basically make that call out on something like that. You know what I mean? It's a, and to hear and to start reading the statements and things that came out from Vic, Vic Kuletsky, it was just odd. It, it felt really odd to me. It was very Mustaine-like. How so? Well, you, you think that like... Not thinking about perspective or... Well, it's just, you know, Mustaine is not known for... He says things even though the benefit is severely limited compared to the potential detriment. Okay. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, and it yeah, yeah. just doesn't seem to care. And I think that, you know, originally before uh, Super Collider came out, it was like, he's just trying to get people's attention so that way he's going to sell albums. But it turns out he isn't selling albums. Yeah. It didn't work. Yeah. 
right? So it, here's Vic, who I wouldn't put on anywhere near the same level because I think what he did was he just cracked a joke that he thought was funny. Yeah. And nobody else it got the fell joke. fell completely flat. And then instead of like backpedaling a little bit, he yeah. doubled down on the motherfucker. And that's actually where he went completely wrong. So the first thing he said was, I don't like, I knew there was some reason I didn't like headless guitars yeah. or something like that. Yeah, and then he which was, is a reference to Masvidal playing headless guitars. Yes, and then uh, then later on in that post, and it's up on MetalSucks.net, mm-hmm. uh, and you can read. He says something else, and apparently there were some other things that were said in that that were deleted. Yeah, because people well. were like, well, "What's the joke, man? I don't get it." Yeah, I didn't. I wasn't so sure about it either. Right, and I mean, I got the one that they that they got in there, and but you know, it's like, uh, and somebody, what? I think somebody said, "Dude, are you talking about?" Cynic, are you really making fun of like gay gay people gu- and headless guitars right. in the same post? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's a smart dude, man. I wouldn't have gotten there. You know, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I've seen Cynic twice, and I don't know what guitars he's playing. I thought they looked cool, but I don't remember that type of stupid stuff. No, I remember that. That was yeah. remember he had so many problems with those guitars oh. on the on the seventy thousand tons of metal. No, no, no. I, I just remember it being awesome. Yeah. That too. (laughs) How do they tune that thing? I don't know how that works. This is a weird thing, man. (laughs) Dude. But it's just, and what's weird is, is that you figure that you're a businessman, right? You've got, you're trying to sell guitars and you're trying to sell guitars to these things called human beings. So you want to appeal to as many human beings as possible, right? Not alienate a bunch of people. Unless, you know, you've got, you know that there's this gigantic Christian metal audience that's going to buy these boutique guitars for $5,000 a piece. You feel, you figure that you would kind of try to be inclusive right you you got some big endorsements you got you got misha mansoor from periphery you've got you've got some important people in the prog metal genre that are that are on your side with your guitars why would you even take a chance of alienating anybody and i get it you totally you know you make a com everybody's done it dude you may you you make a comment and you're like i kind of got i i didn't really i i you know and then you shut up this guy grabbed the shovel that was standing next to <laughs> the guitar maker machine that he's got, yeah, right? Whatever it is. And, and he started digging. Oh, man. I mean, it's like... And he hasn't stopped. Well, so uh, we went hunting a little bit before we started recording and trying to find some posts just to see if he if Because we've apologized. been trying to get him to come on and talk Yeah, with us. Yeah, I know. And the thing is, is that if... If you if I if I made an off color joke and pissed somebody off, like legitimately, it was something that I felt bad about and was like, oh man, that probably just if, if somebody takes it wrong or whatever. First thing I do is apologize. It's like, dude, I'm sorry. You know, I didn't mean it that way. You misunderstood me. This is what the, in the context. But either way, I apologize for hurting your feelings. I get it. You and know, even, I understand. And it's a sensitive if, issue. Even if you didn't, you know, you can regret that you said it and go. Hey, look, uh, uh, you know, it was supposed to be a joke. I, I kind of got carried away. I'm real sorry. And that's it. You're not really apologizing for the joke. You're just apologizing for opening your mouth. You know? Yeah. You can do that. And get yeah. Away. But no. Not uh, not old Vic. No. Vic decided to go the other route with not that. When and you, not when you got the blessing of the holy <laughs> Jesus on you. You fucking need the, the, oh, for, the fucking internet, dude. You don't need <laughs> forgiveness from anybody. You just need forgiveness from Lord Jesus. My favorite thing. Okay, this statement. I'm going to read this from the Facebook from uh, from the Facebook page. 
Oh, this is great because this is something that you see a lot uh, with people, especially on the Internet, because they will apologize in one hand and then fucking insult you in the other. (laughs) And it's it's great. Yeah. All right. Quote, I don't hate anyone or anything. I don't judge people based on their beliefs, race, sexual orientation or social status. Every every person is much more than that. I don't ask my friends nor my customers about their sexual preferences and thus don't judge them on the choices they make or that have been made for them. All right. Okay. That's stop. Stop there. Stop there. Uh, Oh, no. He doesn't stop there. (laughs) It keeps on going. I don't get what does he think he's going to if he stopped right there. That would be. There you go. you're, You're good. You're gold, right? You're totally good. And then then here comes the other part, right? Still, as a Christian, a father, a a husband, a person with traditionalist human set of values, that's the key to me right there. Human set of values. I don't like or don't approve a homosexual lifestyle of living and thus people often not gay who push all this gay propaganda that we will see today everywhere. Gays are humans and as humans, they deserve all human rights, but liking them or not liking them it's up to everyone to decide hmm so he's basically you know it's up to you but i don't like him right (laughs) right okay uh okay business guy you know you you, godless is is the businessman out of the two of us me i go (laughs) i go by my gut feeling and how i feel about things and uh it what kind of uh was was this a dumb move yeah, this is as dumb as it gets. <laughs> this is so good. It's so good. Let me tell you the future of Vic Guitars. This is how that works. All right, so, so like, like the dude has got money from deposits from people. Yeah. And that perhaps have been sitting around for a while while he gets around to eventually building their guitars. People start canceling. And because, asking for their money back. And asking for their money back. Yeah. And some of them will get their money back and some of them won't. And the guitars will stop being made, and that website will probably stay up. But eventually, he won't be accepting money from PayPal anymore. He'll be accepting, uh, you know, uh, uh, through whatever other means he can find. Until eventually, it just goes away because you look how hard it is to stay in business. It's so hard, especially when you're trying to sell boutique guitars. Yes, you I mean, can't. You got to take the gay dollar. The gay dollar is worth just as much as as anybody else's dollar. Exactly. Exactly. Sorry, I'm yelling. I'm my, my, but but my, but if yeah. it's but if it's against your moral perpetuity, if it's Take against your, your insides, perpetuity to the soup line, man. Yeah, I know. And so he pissed off one of his uh, primary people that is uh, representing him, which would be Misha Mansoor of uh, Periphery, who probably was on his way to getting pissed anyway. Uh, yeah, because he was two years out on a guitar that he had ordered. It's like what? It took him two years. Still hadn't got his guitar after two years. Because, uh, you know, we heard the periphery had canceled their, their relationship with uh, Vic Guitar, so I went and, you know, went did a little, little digging and found his statement because there was also a response to this on the Vic Guitars page as well, which is just, it's, it's, why do you do, do don't do it, don't do it, <laughs> don't do it, man, don't do it. Uh, but uh, let's see, just a couple of excerpts here. Uh, let's see. Quote from Misha Mansoor, I cannot in good conscience actively promote or support him or his company with his outspoken and unwavering views on LGBT and their rights. All right. Very good. Okay. 
Let's see, we'll go down a little bit farther here. Uh, when I asked for an update, this is a guitar that he ordered from him. When I asked for an update as to when my guitar would be sent out earlier today, Vic made it clear that he would not send me the guitar if I did not agree with and support his viewpoints. I told him that, <laughs> dude, this is a great line. I told him that my morals and ethics are worth more than a guitar. Bravo. Bravo! Bravo. <laughs> it's so well, Indeed. he does our job for Indeed. us. Indeed. I like the, his entire statement is actually spot on, and yeah. um, I, I totally agree with it. Yeah, he's right. Say what you want, but I'm not going to have nothing to do with you. It, it, the same thing would have happened if Misha had stuck his foot in his mouth and Vic didn't agree with it. Vic would be like, dude, you're representing my company. Yeah, I yeah. can't have you exactly. do that. Exactly. So it goes both ways. Uh, I don't know, man. <laughs> this is what Vic needs to do. First of all, let me, well, all, uh, in, let me no, let me do this. Okay, all right, go ahead. Number go ahead. one, first thing, he's got to come on the show. <laughs> okay, step one. Step one, right. right? Because we're going to give him as much time as he wants to explain why he believes what it is. I want the Christian believes. to come on with Godless. Let's, Let's do, do it. it. Number two, you hire yourself a gay PR agent. <laughs> It, I mean, flaming, right? Because this dude is going to get you the right ink in the right places. You're going to be all right. You may need to start doing number three, which is generating the new signature homo line guitar, you know, with like, <laughs> you know, like the, the cord, instead of sticking it in the hole oh, of the stop. amp, it's just like, it's okay, like, stop it. Stop it now. That's what, well, remember what we were talking about? Shitty jokes, right? Okay. Now apologize. I'm sorry. <laughs> there you go. No, sincerely apologize, <laughs> asshole. <laughs> uh, I'm just saying, I mean, it, it, this is I, and obviously, obviously this is wrong. And what's great about this is this is a nobody you know, in Eastern Europe, making guitars that nobody was getting anyway, right? They, even if they did buy them. Yeah. So now every other band and every other product is seeing what's going on and going, everybody shut up or get your shit straight, you know, figure out how to do this and do it right. Because it's 2014. Why? Yeah. What happened to Christianity? What happened to Christianity being now all of a sudden it's the way... It's the Ku Klux Klan, right? That's what Ku Klux Klan used to be like, dude, we're the Christians. And they were right, because if you read the Bible, that's what the KKK was to the letter, right? And now it's like, now you're allowed to be an asshole as long as you go, oh, no, 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 but Jesus said so. Well, no, I think what we also have here is an example of... Uh, the free market is going to decide on this thing. Thank God. You know, in the no end, pun intended. In, in the end, <laughs> right? Uh, in the end, the free market will put this guy either out of business or he's going to find a find an even smaller niche uh, to sell his stuff to. Right. You know, it's the free market will make up that make up its mind on how this will all weigh out, and that's why the you just don't understand PR when you come out and say stuff like this and how this works. You know, in the world, you may have a good product, but you cannot just cut off your foot and expect to run a marathon. It's just impossible for you to do. And I don't understand why anybody who owns a business and expects something to to be successful at it thinks they can get away with just isolating themselves 
in what is already a niche market to begin with. And so that I just don't understand it. And obviously he doesn't either. Yeah. And, and if dude, if you've got some sort of logic and reasoning as to why you think the way you think and you need some space and time to explain it and you want people to hear your voice, this is the place to do it. You come on here. <laughs> you, 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 you've got enough time. We're going to let you do, have, say your piece. And, and you know what? Maybe at the end of it, everybody will go. Yeah, Maybe. okay, you make some sense. Yeah, doubt it. <laughs> Maybe, but, you know, look, I mean, he's got It's going to be hard, like, I don't know. For, for People me, agree with him. I, I, that, actually, that's that, to me, that's the odd thing, is that, that really people do agree yeah. with him, and it's weird. And But luckily, nowadays, like you said, it's 2014, and not not many people do. You know, it's a, it's a smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller number. You know, it's still like you're talking about the KKK. It's a smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller, and it just keeps breeding itself out. Yeah. So the, luckily, we're we're coming to the end of this cycle, I, I hope. Well, it's sort anyway. of the whole uh, Harvey Milk thing. When Harvey Milk was like, hey, look, everybody, Harvey Milk being the gay yeah, yeah, yeah. governor or whatever, uh, California, he was like, he's like, everybody called your family. You got to come out. You got to come out. This is exactly why Cynic needed to come out right here, right this this right here is why they needed to come out, because by coming out, it becomes part of the discussion and all the people who disagree with it are exposed. Yeah, exactly. You get because because the, the worst bigot in the world is a closeted bigot. It's somebody that you don't know is a racist, don't know is a homophobe, don't know that those people are what they are. It's much better for all of us that we know. People are who they are. And we can either take the opportunity to try to change his mind or, you know, whatever. I mean, and because even if we're not going to change the mind, at least make them uncomfortable and make them feel like, you know what? Because in our head, you know, like in our head, the only person who talks to us is, you know, baby Jesus. Right. So like in our head, it's like it's like, oh, well, Jesus what does he sound like. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like, OK, well, uh, you know, everybody agrees with me. Everybody agrees with me. Right. Until you open your mouth and then you realize Everybody's standing at you, looking at you, going, whoa, dude. Yeah. And so that's what happens here is like people come out and they go, oh, dude, but uh, gays are choosing their thing. And other people are like, you're nuts. You're nuts. You, you got to. Dude, we could talk, about, so we could talk about this for three episodes because I mean, it's because I feel like, it, yeah, we, we so, can't. Gotta... This is exactly why Cynic didn't come out. And this is exactly why they but needed I, but, to. But the trick with Cynic was, was that they were out. But just not like way out. Well, they weren't. I mean, dude, we got so close. Even Vince pointed it out to oh. us. That, you know what we fucking missed in the interview. It's like, oh, oh, oh. Yeah, go back and listen to our Paul Mesvidal interview. <laughs> oh. Like son of a bitch. Maybe you can put a link in the comments or something. You know, but but yeah, I mean, we had it, we had it. But my gaydar, God, no, it didn't go off. It didn't go off. All right, we got We got to stop talking about this. Right. Yeah, hopefully, maybe future episode. Uh, you know, Vic Kuletsky will have a change of heart. And Please, maybe, if, you know, come if, on, come if on. If you the know him, you, you talk him to come him. on. Yeah, you know, you never know. Uh, I want want to hear his point of view. Yeah, you know, let let him put it out there. Convince me. You know, I'm totally willing to become a bigot if you can give me a really <laughs> good reason for it. I said yes. I could totally see you being a bigot <laughs> about something. Uh, I'm a, I, I hate yacht rock. All right, there you go. Uh, I love that, yacht rock. I know you love yacht rock. I hate yacht rock. All right, we need to get into our interview with uh, Sam Dunn, director. Uh, you know, one half of Banger Media, who has uh, put out a new documentary or about to put out a new documentary 
Uh, I think it may be available. It uh, might be available online. Uh, you got a couple different ways that you're going to be able to see this thing, whether uh, it's out there. You also do Metal Evolution and so many other things. Sam Dunn is our guest on this week's Metal Sucks podcast. Hey, what's going on, man? How you doing? It's Chuck and Godless from the uh, Metal Sucks podcast. How are you guys doing? Oh, doing well, man. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's good to have another film out there. It's been a while. You know, we did the Metal Evolution series, and it's not really since the Rush movie in 2010 that we've actually had a a feature doc out there. So it's uh, it's it's great to uh, great to share Alice with the world. Why Alice Cooper? And why now? Uh, well, Shep Gordon, Alice's longtime manager, actually approached us at the Classic Rock Awards in London a few years ago. He'd seen the Rush documentary and I think was starting to think about, well, maybe it's time that we, you know, document Alice's career. And so one thing led to another. And and uh, here we are. We got the, you know, they got the film done. And I think it's a fascinating journey through most of uh, of Alice's life. I mean, why now? I, I, you know, I think that like many, you know, rock musicians of his generation, they're they're not going away. You know, true. <laughs> and you know, Alice is still pulling crowds, and it's still regarded as you know the godfather of shock and and the guy who really pioneered, uh, you know, uh, bringing you know the horrific spectacle to the stage. So uh, he seems. You know, in many ways, he seems as relevant now as as ever. It's it seems like this is sort of like a a different approach to the doc than you've mm-hmm. done before. Iron Maiden was more about a moment in time. This was a, a you know one a a whole career, yeah, a lifespan. And it was interesting the way that you had him tell the story for the most part. Yeah, well, you know, after Shepard approached us and we started talking about how we wanted to make this film, we decided that we didn't want to do it in the conventional talking head style. Um, Alice is such a visual character, um, you know, the, the theatrical is such a big part of what Alice Cooper is about. And so we decided to do it in this style we're calling a doc opera, which basically means we're where the whole story is told visually using archival footage and photographs. Uh, and and really, we, we only recorded the audio uh, of the interviews with Alice and everyone else who appears in the movie. It just seemed to make sense. Here's an opportunity to, to, to do something different. What was your... Uh, I, I mean, before you did the Iron Maiden doc, it was well-documented. You're a major Maiden fan. Were you an, a major Alice Cooper fan, or were you a casual fan, as a lot of people nowadays seem to be? Mm-hmm. No, I wasn't a fan of Alice Cooper at all. Um, you know, the first time I heard Alice Cooper was in the mid-80s, you know, when I was I was really into bands like Maiden and Metallica and, and Slayer and so on, and, and Alice came out with Poison, and to be frank, I thought it seemed a little dated, it seemed... Um, uh, you know, it seemed old compared to, to, to the rest of, of the bands I was listening to. But I was a teenager, and like most teenagers, I didn't really know much. So, you know, fast forward to today, in, in having an opportunity to make, to make the film with Alice, I've gained a new appreciation, especially for his early material in, 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 this, in the 70s, late 60s and early 70s. Uh, there's some pretty innovative music going on there, and I think because... 
so much of the attention on Alice has been on the visual side of things that people forget that there's actually quite a lot of good music here. And, and uh, I'm just happy that, you know, this film gives us the opportunity to showcase some of that, that great music as well. I was going to say, I, I think my introduction to Alice was about the exact same time and about the exact same way. I remember Alice Cooper standing there on, on Headbangers Ball and just looking tired and old compared and, to everybody else. Well, and even the video at that point was sort of, it, it felt it, a little campy compared to what was even coming out the, in the glam rock era too. And, and so watching your, because di- I had, you know, for all this time, I sort of went, yeah, Alice Cooper. Okay, yeah. life uh, influential blah 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 but then watching the documentary the other night i was like whoa i hadn't realized he's like one of the most he was like one of the biggest things in the world that you know when 18 came out and schools out came out so yeah thank yeah. you for that yeah well i think the difference between alice cooper and the other bands that we worked with like rush and iron maiden is that alice cooper is a pop culture icon everyone knows who alice cooper is you say the name alice cooper an image immediately comes to mind. And so we're dealing with someone that managed to to seep into the imaginations of, of people from all walks of life throughout the 70s and 80s, and even today people still know who Alice is. And so really for us, the, 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 the story was, you know, to, to basically show how that happened, how he became really, really the most notorious and most feared person on the planet for for a brief moment there in the 70s and you're right i think people forget how much of an impact using a guillotine or a straitjacket or a snake or a noose on stage uh was uh at that time when you compare it to some of the stuff that's happened obviously since or even in the 80s for that matter that was kind of tame by comparison yeah well we wouldn't have slipknot kiss marilyn manson yeah rob zombie even Lady Gaga, uh, without Alice Cooper. Um, I think, you know, musicians from a lot of different genres have taken cues from what Alice has done and, and taken a little bit of what Alice did and incorporated it into their own performance. Yeah, I've just spent the last couple of weeks reading first Paul Stanley's autobiography and then Peter Chris's autobiography, like back to back. And it was interesting to me that, you know, there's very little that the two of them share as far as perspective. But one of the things that they both like remark about is meeting Alice Cooper and the first time that they were out in LA back in like 1973 and how important that was for them. Yeah. uh, The thing I've learned about spending time with Alice over the last couple of years is that he's consummate performer. He, he is a classic um, front man. Uh, he can hold his own on talk shows with Johnny Carson and, you know, and, and in the room with guys like George Burns. You know, this is, Alice is sort of lives in, in that world of, of one of America's classic performers, I think. And, and uh, you know, with the film, we just wanted to, to sort of show how for Alice, I think really that was his moment of arrival when he could share the stage with Diana Ross or, or, or spend time with Jack Benny and, and, and George Burns, who were his heroes. So I think Alice has always seen himself as something beyond a musician or even beyond a front man in a group. He's seen himself as, as a, a, a consummate entertainer. What was interesting about the, the documentary, too, is that seemed to be what was also made him fragile, was uh, was the fact that he was this personality outside of it and sort of lost the Vince side of it and became yeah. Alice Cooper. And he was always well, on and always had, it felt like he always had to be on. 
Well, Super Duper Alice Cooper is a film about uh, a character who threatens to take over the life of the guy who created him. Uh, that is, you know, Alice threatens to eclipse Vincent Fernier um, because his this onstage character, Alice Cooper, is so uh, so spectacular and 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 required so much. I think of Alice to pull off that he had to fuel himself with alcohol and then eventually drugs to be able to just continue that, that level of performance. And also maybe to some degree cope with the, cope with the fact that he was becoming uh, the guy that couldn't walk down the street without, without being mobbed. And so, yeah, we, we chose this sort of Jekyll and Hyde framework to tell the story of, of how the, the, the character of Alice Cooper almost killed Vincent Fernier. As somebody who, I mean, obviously you are into documenting these careers and these these lives that these these guys have. Do you sometimes wish that there was somebody who was in the midst of that mm-hmm. turmoil who would call you up and go, "You got to record this, man." <laughs> yeah, well, there are. I mean, our 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 style of documentary filmmaking to date really has been taking you know subjects that people either have dismissed or or and 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 showing them in a, in a, in a new light in a more human light i think you know like do, with any documentary process there's always a little bit of luck involved and while we've never you know we've never been in a situation where in the middle of creating something something has happened that's dramatically altered the the story or the course of events but with Alice, there was a moment when, you know, we approached Bernie Taupin, um, you know, famous lyricist and, and collaborator with Elton John and, and had worked with the Alice in the 80s, that when we approached him to do an interview for the film, he said he would do it provided he could talk about something that he's never been allowed to talk about. And that is the drug addiction that he and Alice were going through in, in the late 70s and early 80s and how he always felt uh, guilty and a sense of responsibility for leading uh, Alice down a dark, uh, a dark path of drug addiction, and so that was, you know, uh, that was a real revelation for us because, um, you know, if you look at some of those images of Alice at that time, he's incredibly gaunt. He's making some music which is very different than the stuff he'd done in the '70s, much more frenetic and sort of edgy, um, and so. All of that started to make more sense when we knew that he was going through this this really rough time in his life. Yeah, it was tied to heroin, cocaine, and a lot of other things that were that were attached to it at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Well, crack cocaine is stay off that stuff. It's a hell of a drug. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no good, no good for anybody, man. No. One of the things that I thought was interesting because we talked about Alice Cooper, the dude, so far, but there was a time when it was Alice Cooper, the band. And uh, and that was I thought really interesting. I hadn't realized that that time existed. And uh, it's it seemed to me almost that the guys in the band that you spoke with seemed rather guarded about how and what they wanted to say about Alice Cooper, the dude. Did, did is that correct, or is that because I was three quarters into a bottle of wine at the time? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, the you know the story of the Alice Cooper group is is a complex one and and in making this film we quickly realized that there were a lot of different versions of what happened in the past depending on which band member you were talking to and you know it's no coincidence that you know 
you know, a lot of these guys were pretty stoned and pretty drunk at the time. So, LSD and a lot of other things going on, too. Yeah. Exactly. So what we realized was that, okay, we're actually dealing with a group where no one really has the same version of what happened in the past. And so as filmmakers, we had to decide, well, what storyline makes most sense, given what we know about the band members and what their interests are and, and, and their backgrounds. And, and, you know, also, to some extent, what's going to be most entertaining for people? So initially, we were like, oh, fuck, how are we going to deal with this band where, you know, Neil's got a version of what happened, Dennis's got a version, Alice has got a version, Shep's got a version. And then we just realized, well, it's actually quite liberating because now we can just do what we, what we want because no one agrees. <laughs> <laughs> and then when they hear the other story, they're like, okay, maybe it was sort of that way. Uh, yeah. Kinda- well, we had, you know, we had the world premiere at Tribeca um, uh, last week, and, and, and you know, Alice was there with his wife, Cheryl. Shep Gordon was there, as well as Neil Smith and Cindy Smith and Dennis Dunaway. And, um, you know, we knew that, that, that there was going to be con- some contentious moments in the film, just because we didn't have the time to cover every version of, of, of every story. But, you know, after the screening, you know, when I talked to talked to everyone, they were really impressed by how we handled the story that, you know, the, kind of the, the visual flair of the film and, and the fact that we, you know, it was a real it was a real professional product. And so even though they couldn't agree with every version of the story, I think in the end they were they were pleased that actually finally someone did make a movie that actually incorporates the story of the Alice Cooper group, because, as you say, not a lot of people know that it was a group, and not a lot of people know that Alice Cooper was the name for the group, not an individual, when the band started. Had Alice and Shep seen the movie before last week? Um, Alice and Shep had seen an earlier version of the film uh, without all of the completely finished graphics. And uh, so they, they knew the style, uh, they, they, and, and they, like, they liked um, what, the way we were approaching it. And in fact, you know, the only critical comment that, uh, that Alice gave us in the making of the, of the film was uh, to omit one photo of a naked stripper. <laughs> what? Damn you, Alice Cooper! Uh, you son <laughs> so, of a! You know, even though he chops his own head off yeah. on stage every night, uh, I think his his good Christian values were coming through that, there. So, does Alice show up with the guillotine when he for that first screening, just to make sure that you know how serious he is that he wants to like the doc? <laughs> Uh, fortunately for me, yeah, no guillotines are involved in Q and A. How tough is it? to show the guys that you're making this about the movie. I mean, for, uh, for all the movies you've done so far. Sorry, what, what do you mean? How, how tough is it to, to be to sitting show that, there? That end product that you, yeah. the story that you're trying to tell your to the guys that told the story. That seems like it's got to be one of the most difficult things to lay out the product, the product at the end and just hope for the best. You know, it's like, well, I think I told it right. I think at the end of the day, even though we're fans of a lot of the music and the groups that we make films about, we want to make a story that's going to make, you know, anybody sit down and watch. So I think we try to create, we try to focus on creating a great story and keeping people entertained and engaged and, and, and in many ways put a more human face on musicians that people think are either subhuman (laughs) or, or superhuman, you know? Um, So that's really our approach. And, And it's tough sometimes because, you know, we have to kind of put down our 
our fan uh, card once in a while and say, okay, we're not going to be able to cover this period of this band's career because it's not, it just doesn't really fit in the story we're telling. So um, at the end of the day, we want to make a good film and not just create a survey of a band's career. Well, it's got to be, I mean, I think it's got to be weird to be able to do it per subject, say Maiden or Alice Cooper. But then I think about like Metal of Headbangers Journey or Evolution, and it's like that. that's an even tougher audience when you're like, okay, metal people, this is what is and what isn't. That's got to be even more daunting <laughs> for something uh, like that. It is, yeah. I, I, I try to stay off Blabbermouth on a lot of the blogs <laughs> uh, for all the, 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 the abuse. <laughs> That, that gets hurled from time to time, but you know what? It, 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 it doesn't bother me. And in fact, you know, you know, way back when we started making films and we're working on metal, metal headbangers journey, you know, it was actually the, the passion and the debate and the kind of that feverish commitment that metal fans have. That was part of the inspiration to make that first film. Like, totally. why is it that people care so much about this music? And like, the other, you know, everyone else who doesn't know, doesn't listen to the music couldn't give a shit. Why is it that there's sort of this polarizing kind of effect? And so, you know, we knew, you know, that this was going to be a hazard of our trade is, is making films about metal because people have opinions and, and, but I'd, I'd rather, I'd rather people be, uh, be, uh, you know, uh, expressing their innermost, uh, critiques than uh, than nothing at all. Well, yeah, because as metal fans, we've all had that drunken argument about Sabbath, Blue Cheer, MC5. Who's the no? The first metal was this. No, the vert. No, no, you're wrong. You're completely wrong. And it's exactly. like, and to to be the guy that goes, nope, this is what it is. <laughs> it's yeah. like, what is know. it, by the way? Yeah, you know, it's and, MC5. And, and I I never claimed to end the story. You right. Know? I really claimed to keep it to keep it. Uh, we wanted to give the story of metal a bigger profile because we're fans of the music and we think it deserves the platform. We think it deserves to be part of a bigger conversation because this music is important to people and it's been a big part of of music history and the cultural landscape. Uh, it's not going away like everyone predicted at the turn of every decade in the right. last 40 years. So that's what we're doing. We're not claiming that we're ending the story. We're just trying to give the story uh, a bigger audience. Yeah, I would imagine that there's a lot of bands that you're a fan of that you wish would understand exactly what it is that you're doing in that you're trying to uh, influence the perception of a band. I mean, obviously, with the Alice Cooper doc, you're making a doc that not only Alice Cooper fans are going to get into, but people who might have just a casual interest. Gauge the history yeah. of it. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, you know, with with both Rush and Alice Cooper, you know, these are bands that have touched a lot of people for brief moments in their life. Uh, you know, there was that summer when you listened to Moving Pictures, or there was that summer when you had a copy of Love It to Death or whatever the case may be. And and I think what we want to do is is bring those people into the theater and show them where you know, where this character Alice Cooper came from and, and what he turned into. Um I think that, you know, most fans don't follow a band for its entire career, right? Humans are fickle. We move on. We like a lot of different, you know, we, 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 we change, you know, we're human, we're not robots. And so I think uh, 
we just want to we just want to pique the curiosity of people that who 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 Alice uh, uh, touched for at least a moment in their life. Yeah, uh, accordingly, I'd like to pu- publicly apologize to Fear Factory um, <laughs> for that very thing. <laughs> Public apologies always feel good and <laughs> right? yeah. Good job. Well, and the other thing is too is that when you look at when you look at a career like that and you're looking at fifty years or fifty plus years, you know, not a lot of us were around in 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 the sixties. So mm-hmm. it's you, you don't get the whole arc of that growing up in the seventies and eighties. It's like you don't even see that uh, see the the beginning of that arc. So a lot of time you just don't you're not exposed to it. All you see is Alice Cooper with golf clubs and go yeah. whatever you know this yeah, guy was shocky no yeah you don't know that he was the son of a preacher and fell in love with salvador dolly and the beatles and went on to create a band that people wanted to kick out of la because they were just so extreme for their time i think that, that those are the kinds of stories that we like to tell because again it just gives you a deeper understanding of of who an artist like alice is where he came from and 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 what his impact has been I don't know, y'all. It was kind of a love affair with Iron Maiden, though. I mean, that, <laughs> which I'm totally down with, by the way. I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. Well, you're talking to a guy who, when he was 12 years old, got his first bass guitar and wanted to be Steve Harris. I was going to say. Lee. So, uh, you know, yeah, that was, uh, I think I pinched myself every day on Ed Force One. Right? <laughs> I'm sure, man. That, that had to be, that, as a fan, that had to be just like, oh. A squealing little girl there for that you know even as a little bit of time has passed since you know that's actually it's already been six years since we were on that tour it's hard to believe but you know looking back i kind of realize how how remarkable that tour was and that experience being with those guys for for seven weeks uh you know i think as time passes i'm going to realize more and more how incredible that experience was i think at the time we were just so focused on creating a good film, capturing the footage that we wanted to, and just, you know, not get, you know, and, and, and just Rod Smallwood not beating us up for doing something <laughs> stupid. Uh, you know, uh, so as the time has passed, I've, lear- I, I, I've had the opportunity to kind of sit back and enjoy the fruits of the result. Sam, is your reaction unique as a storyteller when you hear of someone like Jeff Hanneman or Dave Brocky passing away? That's a good question. Um, wow, I hadn't really thought about that. I think, I don't know. I think, you know, um, Slayer is a band, you know, I was 12 years old when Rain and Blood came out, and I remember going down and buying it on vinyl days after it came out, and I remember putting it on, and I, and I remember how gripping that experience was hearing that record for the first time. So Slayer is a band that's been with me for, a long time and I'm, I'm wearing a Slayer shirt as we speak. And so I think that with Jeff passing, it made me feel, I think it made me feel disappointed that um, here's a band that will probably never have their story properly told um, given that Jeff is now gone. Um, you know, I, I, I never met Jeff. I've met the other three guys in the band. Um, and so I think for me, it, it was, it was it was sad because we lost a great uh, guitarist and a great uh, uh, creative force in in the metal world, but I think it was also sad that here's here's a phenomenon called Slayer that may pass without ever without ever a broader audience really knowing who these guys were 
and um, you know um, what fueled their music. That sounds like a pitch. <laughs> totally. I was, yeah, I was just I thinking. I'm like, you know. <laughs> What can I say? I wear my work on my sleeve. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a story that definitely needs to be told. And Does there's it make a lot you, of, you know, anxious when you hear about like? I mean, I know there's a doc about uh, Lemmy, but there's not yeah. like a, a history of Lemmy. You know what I mean? Does yeah, it make know, you anxious? I, it it it. Um, I guess because I'm a fan of this music, and I've learned that if you present the music in a certain way, it can engage a broader audience. Because I've had hundreds, if not thousands, of people approach me in the street or at a concert and go, "Dude, you know, I never realized that my mom could watch a movie about metal, but she has." And thanks for doing that, because I think that while she still doesn't like this music, she understands why I like it. And I, you know, that means that 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 means a lot to me. And I guess when you know when you know with groups like Slayer, that opportunity passes to kind of include a guy like Jeff Hanneman in, in, in the story, it makes me feel there's always a part of me that's like, oh, we're never really going to be able to, again, we're never going to be able to sort of inform uh, the larger culture about uh, how important Slayer has been to so many people. Yeah, it's an opportunity lost. I agree. The tragic thing too is is that you know he he didn't do a whole he wasn't that like the the interview guy he's not, you, no. you always heard from Carrie you always heard from Tom but you rarely heard from Jeff. Well, that's another good exactly, and I think that that and yet as as Slayer fans know, Jeff was a major creative force in that band exactly, uh, and and you know he wrote a lot of the lyrics and some of the some of the most classic metal riffs of all time came from the hands of Jeff Hanneman. So, um, yeah, it's unfortunate that the, that the, the, you know, the quietest guy in the band is never really going to, uh, have his, have, have the moment in, in the sun that he probably deserves. You interviewed some, uh, you know, pretty amazing musicians about Alice Cooper. You, you know, you interviewed Bernie, uh, you interviewed John Lydon, how, how, yeah, decent. How challenging is it to sit in front of these guys who have stories of their own that need to be told and ask them about somebody else's? How do you approach that? Well, I think when you're dealing with a character like Alice, I think there's a level of respect among most musicians uh, for what he's accomplished as a performer. Uh, you know, I think that they 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 feel that here's someone that deserves to be recognized as someone who, you know, with the exception of maybe Arthur Brown and P.T. Barnum and Screaming Jay Hawkins, there wasn't really anybody before him that brought the gruesome onto the stage in, in, in the musical in the musical realm. Uh, so generally speaking, it wasn't too difficult. It's always difficult to keep John Lydon on topic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Uh, that goes without question. But apart from that, uh, our experience with Alice was that when it came to people like Elton John or Dee Snider, Iggy Pop, Wayne Kramer, uh, they all they were all you know um, excited to give Alice's due. Now you're you were anthropologist, is that right? Yeah, I have a master's degree in in anthropology. Um, yeah. So, how did you? Uh, I mean, sitting down and interviewing people who are you know still breathing is a very different 
<laughs> uh, technique. Is there something you know? Is there something you've practiced or uh, read or something that helped you get the information out of these people that you really wanted? Oh well, I think you know. I, I think with the one thing that you know, background in anthropology teaches you is it teaches you uh, that um, you know to 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 spend time to get to know someone to get a sense of the quote-unquote culture they come from, to have that understanding of that broader context, um, and to understand that these, these are people that have a history, they have, they have a background that informs who they've become. And I think that that's just a very, it's a very simple concept, but I think, unfortunately, in, in, in a lot of you know, the, the journalistic world or sometimes in the filmmaking world, there isn't a lot of time spent to understanding why where these people come from and, and what their backgrounds are. And so I think that's something that just informs our process. I like to think that we sort of take people one or two steps further back than they expect uh, before moving forward, especially, the, you know, in a, in a series like Metal Evolution. That's one thing we prided ourselves on, that we didn't start the Shock, Shock Rock episode with Alice Cooper. We started it with P.T. Barnum. And I think that, that that's just... Um, one, I think it's interesting, and two, I just think it's a it's, it's a more accurate way to approach the music. If that makes any sense, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. No, it makes total sense. I mean, because uh, I mean, anytime you're talking, because we interview a lot of people all the time, and yeah. you know, putting things in perspective is what the whole the whole point is to try to put whether whether it's their art, their music, their their performance in perspective, and and part of uh, you know so much of that comes from their history and where they come from or. Yeah. Uh, and how it's founded in that. And sometimes it's just asking the right questions. So, Sam, what is crack cocaine like when you take it? <laughs> Pass. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know, you got to give it a shot. How cha- all right, so how, ch- how, challenging, yeah, how challenging is it to get uh, the funding to make an Alice Cooper documentary and some of these other topics that you've done? Have they been self-funded by the bands, or do you got to go out and find the money? We pieced together the financing through a number of different sources. It's a combination of securing a distribution deal um, for DVD and theatrical, and then a broadcast deal with networks in Canada and U.S. and around the world. And then, you know, being Canadian, there is some funding available to us um, for film and TV projects. Um, Socialist, man. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're the pinkos from the north. You know, living living next to Big Brother, uh, we have to uh, we have to secure our own cultural content. Otherwise, uh, yeah, nothing would ever come out of Canada. Well, speaking of, I got to pitch you on two bands that I think desperately <laughs> need their stories told. All right, so the first one is definitely Voivod. Yes, I, I imagine there's a boatload of Canadian money ready to get thrown at Voivod. Am I right? Unfortunately, you're wrong. We've had <laughs> oh, conversations with the band ever since we made Headbangers Journey. Literally on and off for the past 10 to 12 years, we've been in discussions with the band, the band, you know, with 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 uh, with Michelle himself and uh, James McLean, who manages the band, as well as various producers over the course of the last 10 years, and. Believe it or not, it's just been a huge challenge to generate the funding to do the story right. Now, yeah. the Voivod story could be told 
but we always are, we like to have a certain standard and a certain quality control to what we do because we don't believe in ghettoizing this music. Uh, We want to put it on a level where people are going to pay attention. And so that requires a certain budget level and all of those kinds of things. So um, I agree. Voivod is, is a, is a remark is a, is a great band. They've had a huge influence on a lot of other bands and yet, uh, it is a story that hasn't been told yet. So, crowdfund um, that shit, Sam. Pardon me? <laughs> so crowdfund that shit. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's not a bad idea. Um, it worked you know, for evolution. So that's true. I mean, it did work for the extreme metal episode. It was tough. It was a tough. It was a tough, uh, tough grind. But we did get it done. So, so when you're done with the Voivod doc, then you got to jump into because you've already faced a huge challenge. I want to see the Dayglow abortions documentary. <laughs> Now you're now you're talking my language. You're speaking <laughs> to a hometown hometown boy here. I'm from Victoria, BC. Those guys, I saw them at the Rat's Nest when, uh, you know, I, I I think I looked like a rat at that time. <laughs> <laughs> Scraggly hair and my uh, jean jacket with my handmade Morbid Angel logo on the back. Um, Man, you and me. I mean, dude, there yeah. was a time when like me and my buddies, we knew all the lyrics off of uh, uh, the first uh, 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 Altars of Madness. Uh, uh, Morbid Angel album, and we knew all the lyrics of I forget which album by Diglo Abortions. It's just that's it. <laughs> uh, fantastic band, and love Jesus Bonehead and those guys. Uh, so yeah, who knows? One day I'm going to add one to your pile, please. A little bit outside of the box, and it's again another hometown favorite is No Means No. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Okay. A little obscure. A little obscure. Yeah, I know, but, but I can imagine yeah. that story's a lot like Alice's, where everybody's got a familiarity with them, but... But they don't know the story. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. Do people ever come up to you when you're, like, at these uh, award ceremonies and stuff, where you're collecting all your awards, and they're like, dude, all right, you got to hear what's going on behind the scenes with so-and-so. you got to make a movie about it. <laughs> Fortunately, no. That oh, never happens. Damn. Uh, and we try to steer clear of the tabloid thing. It's not really our style. So, you know, as long as there's TMZ, it allows us to do what we want. But I'll bet you getting the funding for that's a lot easier. <laughs> you might be right about that. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's not what motivates me, that low-hanging fruit. So what's next? Um, we're doing a film with Soundgarden. And um, we are in conversations with... Uh, a, a, a a very legendary metal band that shall remain nameless for now. Can you do me a big favor when you make the Soundgarden doc, like just pretend that Black Hole Sun never happened? <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm still thinking about the metal band that should remain nameless. I'm like, okay, okay, so... Yeah, because you already yeah. said Slayer, probably not, right? Okay. Yeah, it, um, that's going to be tricky to skip over... Uh, it's going to be tricky to skip over Black Hole Sun. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't make that promise. But Damn. But, uh, all right, so, so this legendary band, uh, yeah, one name or two name title? Uh, two. Ah, <clears throat> uh, uh, okay, all right. Uh, uh, extreme metal or m- more uh, classic metal? More classic, and that's all I'm telling you. Ah. Uh, right. <laughs> Judas Priest. Yes. Now that's a story, man. Oh, oh, yeah, you can't skimp on the kid who blew his face off and lived. That's a, that, I saw that doc. That was a good one. <laughs> but there's so much like well, Judas Priest would be a good one because it's a, there's so much that's that story. I don't think it has been 
it's been tread, but then it was sort of tongue in cheek there in the eighties. And, you know, I've always yeah. just wanted to go like leather shopping with Rob Halford. Well, the other thing we've got on our plate is a series for VH1 that's going to come out early next year, which uh, focuses on some big metal musicians and, uh, Let's just say Halford's part of it. So you'll Did, be getting your dose of Halford awesome. next year from us. Does VH1 pay? I, I mean, those guys are notoriously cheap. Is that right? They pay us. <laughs> they like us. <laughs> they wouldn't pay for an extreme metal to, uh, <laughs> to evolution, but hey, you know, other than that. Yeah. Let's all put that. I mean, how bad was that pitch session when you pitched that to them and they, did they like twitch in their seats or what Were was they that afraid like? of it or was it just uh, didn't think they had the viewership for it? Uh, actually, well, when we pitched the series at the very beginning, we had a death metal episode in that original pitch. So we wanted we wanted it to be part of the series from from the very beginning because we you know we, we think it's important. But uh, I think they just felt, as we said uh, before, that they just felt it was a little too extreme for their audience. And you know, while we we disagreed that uh, you know we thought it it needed some attention, you know, we weren't gonna. They were willing to back us for 11 other episodes, right. so we couldn't really complain. Yeah. Yeah. Do, yeah. Do they do to you what everybody does to me, where you just don't reply? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, they, 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 they get back to us, so I guess we're, we're lucky. <laughs> How do you word your emails so that you get replies? I don't seem to be able to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've got anything more magical than, what you, than your touch. <laughs> I don't know. I think by now, with with the the level of success that you've had with uh, so many different documentaries, especially I would say the Iron Maiden, because I bought like three copies of it. Um, <laughs> the, the people are listening to what you got to say and what your suggestions are. So, yeah, well, it's changed. I mean, when we set out to make our first film, no one knew who we were. And yeah, we were laughed at because we told people we wanted to make a quote unquote serious documentary about heavy metal, and we got laughed out of a lot of boardrooms. So now. I think we, you know, we played a role in proving that metal, uh, as I've said before, is 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 an important part of music history, and it shouldn't be just shoved aside. It's it's there's stories to be told, and there's bands oh. that are still having a huge impact. So um, it's a little it's different now than it was ten years ago. Let me tell you. Well, and we and the one thing about metal people is we consume. You know, we, we buy DVDs, we buy albums, we buy well, patches, albums, we buy, uh, right. you know, buy yeah. stuff. I don't know. I, I'm all in favor of the collector gene. Oh, dude, don't get me started. <laughs> Were you out, did you go out for record store day? Uh, I was traveling that day oh. uh, and I did pop into my local store, but I was actually on route back to back home to Toronto from New York uh, that day. So sadly, uh, didn't get to sift through as many bins as I would have hoped. Uh, Who do you want to make the Sam Dunn documentary? Oh, I think that's been done. It's a film called Metal Headbangers Journey. <laughs> well, yeah, technically. I mean, because that's what I was, yeah, the, I was thinking ahead of time. Like, when we were talking to you, I'm like, I know a lot about you based on based on Headbangers Journey. Yeah. You know? so yeah, well. Tell us a lot of your there story. There's much more to tell. <laughs> <laughs> you see what you get. <laughs> oh, good times, man. Well. We want to thank you for taking your time out, dude. It's a awesome documentary. Super Duper Alice Cooper is the name of the uh, the the new one, and it uh, it's really cool. Yeah, thanks, guys. Much respect, Sam.
salute you Can't find the flag If that don't suit you That's a drag Skulls Out All summer
Brand new music from Woven War. All rise on the Metal Sucks podcast. What I, I don't know, man. I miss. Okay, I gotta say that I miss Tim Lambesis in the respect that I miss the growl, the scream that he that he does. That's sort of what made Azalea dying like really tolerable. But that song is fucking catchy, man. Damn, that's catchy. You know what it is? I mean, if I, if I'm a songwriter and I'm listening to that song, which is what songwriters should do, right? You listen to a song. What do <laughs> really? they? What do they do it right? <laughs> okay. Right? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. no, no. But you listen to. I, I when we listen to it, I was like, dude, play back the first sixty seconds. If you pl- listen to just the first sixty seconds, those guys have three big hooks before those 60 seconds are up. Oh, yeah. And that third hook is the hook. Yeah. Right? So, like, go back to the drawing board, songwriter. Figure out a way to get your hooks well, in the first 60 seconds. And that's what those dudes have done their entire career. Like, that's if you go back and listen, Yeah, exactly. You go back and listen to their catalog, they've got you by the balls, like, right off the bat. And I tell every band that I ever talk to, if you can't catch me, if you can't grab, uh, grab me and tickle my taint in the first 30 seconds of your song, then you might as well give up now. Right, because you're going to shut it off. There's too much other music. Yeah, I mean... And, and that's for everybody. And that goes, you know, then that's label dudes like everybody will tell you the same thing everybody is exposed to so much now it's got to grab you right off the bat and then those guys are damn good at it man so whether you like the clean singing or not i really really think that uh that, that yeah it's uh it, it's going to be somewhat popular so, if you will oh. so that's the question right so the question is like are they going back to jesus or <laughs> going back to Jesus, or they because that, that we we're, we're dissecting it line by line, I know, right? And that's like uh, that's probably not a good thing to do because um, yeah, I, I think Axel was the one who posted about it and is like, uh, you could really read some interesting things into that. I mean, I get it. Like, like even the new singer is like an ex, possibly ex, maybe current Christian, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you know, the apple doesn't roll too far away from the tree after it falls off. Wait, what? <laughs> Yeah, I'm mixing my uh, analogies unless big time. Unless you're Tim Lambesis, that sucker is going to roll itself right <laughs> it into prison sure is what did. it's going to do. It so, sure did. But, but, I mean, really, I, I guess I guess my feeling is, is like, like, yeah, they're trying to do this whole, hey, Tim, you can be born again, <laughs> again. And yeah. see, that's the most... If you're reading into the lyrics, because it we're, could just be about some, you know, something else. Like a girlfriend. Or, you know, <laughs> no, it's about Tim Lambesis. Come on. I mean, like... like Dude, we're going to talk to Nick at some point. We, we, we're, we gotta we got to get, get him on. I really want to talk to him. we got to get him on. You just can't give him shit about being Christian metal, okay? <laughs> You know me. Come on. I'm a good yeah, dude. Yeah, I do know you. You're going to give him shit, man. <laughs> uh, this episode of the Metal Sucks Podcast brought to you by the legendary Metal Powerhouse Down. They are back with a new EP, Down 4, Part 2. This is the uh, next, cha- next chapter for the group, uh, consisting, of course, of vocalist Phil Anselmo, guitarist Pepper Keenan, drummer Jimmy Bauer, Pat Bruders, and Bobby Landgraf, their new guitarist. It's packed with their signature gargantuan wrists, swamp blues leads, crashing drums, and hypnotic howls. Make sure to pick up this 36-minute collection, which features the single We Knew Him Well, available online and in stores. Down 4, Part 2. Do you think Woven War sells more in the first week than... Uh, Whitechapel did? I don't know. I, I mean, I'm kind of curious whether this ends up being kind of like a damage plan thing. What does? You know, where, speaking oh, of yeah, Phil, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it's like where the, the, the guys go off and they get a different singer and, you know, people buy it. Essentially the same sort of backing. Because, I mean, the song sounds like an As I Lay Dying song until right. you hear the, what's the name's voice. And you're like, oh, that's weird. It's kind of different. Yeah. Because it definitely has their signature on it. I, I don't know, man. I, I just, I, I really got to know going into it. 
I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell you whether I like it or not. But I'm the, not gonna form a judgment until I know whether they're singing about Jesus. But the battle that's gonna be that's gonna rage is, and it's that um, brand recognition thing. You know, it's going to be woven war, formerly known as Azalea Dying. Right. It's gonna it's gonna be sold that way because nobody knows who the fuck woven war is. Right. So you can't just go, We're woven war. Right. You're gonna have to make sure that you add it on there or else you lose everything that came before. Like all that traction that you had before. Not to say that the music is any worse or better or whatever. It's just branding that they're that they're going to be losing out on. It's like it's sort of a sad situation that they're in. But it's also like a big question. But I think they're, they're going to be fine. The, are they going to go back to the old audience and that and you know be? See, that's the thing is that nobody comes out and goes, "Dude, anybody, hey, Jesus, yeah. love you, Jesus." You know, nobody does that anymore. It's got to be like all underlying and it's such baloney, right? So <laughs> instead. <laughs> How they, do you really feel? Yeah, well, well it's just, you know, well, that's it. How do you really feel? How in the world are you supposed to have a metal song where you cannot tell people what it is that you think and what you believe? See, this goes back to what we were talking about earlier on the show. You cannot stand up and defend Christianity anymore because it's a big fraud. And so, therefore, <laughs> therefore, you're going to go, uh, it's all about rising again. Maybe. Maybe it's not. I don't know. How the um, hell am I supposed to take you seriously until I know... What it is that you stand for. I understand the right for you to have an opinion about Christians, but I don't really respect it. Um, so I wish you would uh, just shut the fuck up and not st- not keep talking about it. Okay, thanks. All right. <laughs> Sorry. That's a, that's the bleeding heart liberal in me. It's a, <laughs> we need to see everybody's views um, because, you know, looking at, at it from the outside. We just five minutes of their view. If that's um, their view, we're not you know, sure. It's okay. I mean, it's, um, yeah, I understand. No, I, I want I, them to come I, out yeah. and make a, a stand. I want them to say, but, 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 uh, no, no, this is not about Jesus because absolutely, we don't. No, 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 this band to any other standard that you can hold any other band to because sure I can no you cannot because the thing the the idea is that you write a song and then you interpret that fucking song they don't have to interpret it for us they don't have to tell us what it's about they have no no obligation to explain anything they fucking do to anybody and that's not especially when it comes to songwriting they write it you interpret it you can get what you want from it if we think it's about Tim Lambesis and him trying to murder his wife we can imply that and that's what we can take away from it if somebody else thinks it's about Jesus rising again on Easter and bringing uh, chocolate eggs and hiding them all around your house, then that's what it's about. It doesn't fucking matter. It does. That's what they're going to tell no, you. No, because they've got a history. No, if they didn't have the history, if they didn't have the history, then 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 it doesn't matter. They, but they do have this history. But who fucking cares? I mean, that's... I, mean, I do. I want to make an opinion. <laughs> I can't have an opinion on it. Yeah, you can't. You can no, totally have an opinion me nuts. You can I totally know. have an opinion on it. No, I refuse to like anything that's Christian metal. I know exactly what's going going on in your head right now you like that fucking song and you don't want to like that fucking song because it's fucking like it christian until i know whether you, it is you, or not you like that fucking song and you're going oh god don't let me like god music don't let me like god music it's totally on you're totally right yeah, i just i'm not I, I, I won't do it i know i'm right yes I, i'm willing to admit it i think okay audience this is the first time in 51 episodes that i've got godless <laughs> to admit that 
I was right. <laughs> Boom! But it I'm took not... a fucking year. Yes! <laughs> Thank you. Almost All right, two, actually. We're going to end on that right there. We're, we're going to end on that fucking note right there, because I'm... Oh, I win. Oh, thank God. All right. Next week, I have no idea what we're going to do, but make sure you follow us on Twitter, and we might give you a little hint here and there, man. I, at Bearded Ape is where you're going to find me. And I'm at Godless Speaks. And find us every Monday right there at MetalSucks.net. We are the Metal Sucks Podcast. Metal Sucks.